0: So we'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 18 tonight. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance "'facing the place where Elijah and Elisha "'had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, "'and struck the water with it. "'The water divided to the right and to the left, "'and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. "'When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, "'Tell me, what can I do for you "'before I am taken from you? "'Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit,' "'Elisha replied. "'You have asked a difficult thing,' Elijah said." Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? This is God's word for us tonight. So, a couple weeks ago, our family was watching Olympic fencing, and I was totally confused. Fencing is a really fancy sort of sword fighting. And there'd be these two people dressed up in these big gray-white outfits with padding all over. And they had these huge helmets with masks on. And there's this long space that they go back and forth on. And, of course, they're trying to hit each other with the swords. And when one of them hits the other the right way, some lights go off on their helmets and everybody cheers. And you now know everything that I know about Olympic fencing. You might even know more than I know from the description I just gave. It was Horribly confusing to watch. I would watch these two people go back and forth and I didn't have a clue what was going on. Every now and then one of them would rip their helmet off and go, yeah! And I couldn't tell if they were angry or happy or who had scored or what in the world was going on. So finally we just changed channels to Olympic swimming because in swimming you just, the guy who's in front, he's the one who's winning. Now there are some texts, especially in the Old Testament, that you read And you get them. You just you see why different things are happening. You see how things fit together. It makes sense. But when I first read this chapter this week, I felt a bit lost. Obviously, the part of the story where Elijah goes up to heaven in fire, that kind of makes sense. We all heard that probably in Sunday school growing up. But the rest of the passage, it's kind of confusing. Why are Elijah and Elisha wandering all over from place to place to place, and why does Elijah keep trying to ditch Elisha? And why does Elisha ask for a double portion of Elijah's spirit? And then toward the end, why does Elisha ask where the Lord of Elijah is? Shouldn't he know by now? He's a prophet. And why do those other prophets at the end, why do they insist that they go out and they look for Elijah? There were a lot of questions I had. When I first read through this chapter, I felt a little bit like I was watching a sport and I didn't know Any of the rules. And as I dug through commentaries and thought and prayed through this passage this week, I found out that some of those questions we don't actually have answers to. There's some things in this chapter that nobody can quite agree about what's going on there. But some of them, some of them make a lot of sense as we dig in. So we'll talk about that tonight. We'll take on the text in three parts. First, we'll look at the importance of the commitment of God's people to God's work. Next, we'll look at how God provides for his faithful people, and then we'll see how the Lord provides for his people from generation to generation. So first, our commitment to God, and then a couple ways that the Lord provides for us for now and for eternity. So first, Elisha shows his commitment to the Lord. That's our first movement of the text for tonight. Our passage begins with these two prophets, with Elijah and Elisha, wandering all over the land. They go to Gilgal, they go to Bethel, they go to Jericho, they go to the Jordan. And honestly, students of this passage aren't totally sure why they make that exact journey. There's some people who speculate that they're kind of following the path of the Israelites when they first came to the promised land. And then maybe you have some kind of, you know, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha parallel, that something new is happening and the next leader of God's people is stepping forward. But all of that's a little bit speculative and not real clear. But what I think is the better explanation of all this wandering around is that Elijah is testing Elisha's commitment Elijah is testing Elisha's commitment He's giving him the opportunity To back out Again and again Elijah is showing this younger prophet The exit sign Now back in 1 Kings 19 Elijah was deeply Deeply discouraged He was ready to back out of the prophetic ministry He even went so far as to ask the Lord To just wipe him out And the Lord came to Elijah and he gave him a continued call and he also provided a number of helpers for Elijah and one of those was Elisha. And Elisha was enthusiastic from the beginning. Elijah met him when he was out in a field plowing and Elisha experienced the call of God and he killed the oxen he was plowing with. He burned up his plowing equipment to cook the meat. He had all his people over for a big party and then he left. This was total immediate commitment on Elisha's part and now at this point Elisha's been following Elijah probably for quite a few years at the beginning he opted into the prophetic commitment and he's had enthusiasm the whole time but now as this time of handover is approaching Elijah is giving Elisha the chance to opt out or if you want to put it the other way Elijah is giving Elisha the chance to confirm his commitment At each step on this journey, Elijah gives Elisha the opportunity to back out, to stay put. He's got an easy out. Elijah tells him he can stay at Gilgal. He could stay behind at Bethel, Jericho, the Jordan. But at each step along the journey, Elisha insists, No, I am going along with you. And then after the two prophets have crossed the Jordan, Elijah asks Elisha if he has any requests for him, any last requests before they're separated. And Elisha asks for a double portion of, of Elijah's spirit. Now in the past when I've read this, I always thought Elisha was a bit, shall we say, greedy. When I was young, there was this animated series I watched occasionally called Ducktales. I think it's kind of based on Donald Duck, but there's this sort of grandpa duck and three nephew ducks and there was one episode it's actually the only thing I remember about the series but there was this one episode where they found Aladdin's lamp and one of the nephews enthusiastically rubs the lamp and the duck genie comes out and the nephew says and I can't get the duck accent quite right but something like I wish I could have a million wishes and the duck genie grabs the lamp back and says yeah that never works and I thought, hey, the duck's onto something here. It's a good plan. Why doesn't it work? But apparently, when you find a magic lamp with a duck genie, you have to be reasonable. If you're ever in that situation, keep that in mind. But I've always thought Elisha's request here sounds a little bit like that I want a million wishes. Give me everything you've got and more. I want to be twice the prophet you are. That sounds a little bit, I don't know, greedy, ambitious arrogant kind of and there is actually something to that that Elisha has in some ways twice the ministry that Elijah does he does a lot of good things but as it turns out that isn't the point of the text here that isn't the point of Elisha's request he's not saying I want to be twice the guy that you are in the Old Testament and as we find in Deuteronomy the firstborn son got a double share of the inheritance compared to the rest of the sons. The firstborn son was expected to step into the position, into the responsibilities of the father. And so he got a double share of the inheritance. And so Elisha isn't being greedy here. He isn't saying, give me everything you've got and more. He's saying, I want to take over your ministry. I want to be the next in line. I want the responsibilities and the place that you have had speaking on behalf of the Lord for God's people. Elisha is not being greedy. He's again expressing his commitment to continue in the call. He's saying, I want to be what you have trained and prepared me to be. Elijah is, or Elisha is again opting in. He's saying, I am all in. So if we put ourselves in Elisha's place for a minute, the challenge of the first maybe 10 or so verses of this text for us is, are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? A number of years ago, there was a couple that moved into a high-end gated community with its own neighborhood association, its own country club, and a few days after they moved in, a couple of the neighbors came over and said, hey, welcome to the neighborhood, how you doing? You're finding everything, that's great. We have a country club here. Dues are $50,000 to get in. Payable, in cash, one lump sum. You have two weeks. Make your choice. You in or out, and we aren't going to repeat this offer. Oh, and by the way, welcome to the neighborhood. See you around. Are you in or are you out? Decide now. Now, thankfully, the Lord doesn't always give us quite such quick or harsh decisions to make, but we do often in our lives face this choice. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to follow the narrow way or the broad way? Sometimes these seem like just little choices. Sometimes they're great, huge moments that we know are life-defining. But we all have our Gilgals, our Bethels, our Jerichos. And we are all playing for big stakes here. And our commitment matters for now and forever. In the end, God asks us for everything. Everything. If we follow him, we give up our, our, our possessions, our lives. If we follow the Lord, we have to give up on Everything else If we really Are going to follow God That means letting go of our grip On everything else That we want to hold on to So this is a real question Are you in Or are you out And there are only two choices in the end We can dance around A little bit in this life God is gracious and he calls us back When we make the wrong choice But at the end What's our commitment? Are we in or are we out? But underneath that, behind that, our commitment is terribly important. But I think the even more important point, the foundation that lies beneath our commitment is that the Lord provides for His faithful people. The Lord provides for His people. I think this text is mostly about Elisha, but in the middle, there's this couple verses that are all about Elijah. As the two prophets are walking along, suddenly Elijah is caught up with this chariots of fire and the whirlwind, and he goes up to heaven. Elijah's work is finished, and so the Lord takes him to heaven. And it's especially appropriate for Elijah that this happens with fire and the whirlwind. If we think back over the last few months, we see again and again that the Lord has shown His power through Elijah's work in fire. In the contest on Mount Carmel between Baal and the Lord, the Lord answers Elijah's prayer with fire. The Lord shows that He is God and Elijah is His prophet. At Mount Mount Horeb, when Elijah had run away and was at the end of his rope, God comes to him in fire and earthquake and whirlwind and in a quiet whisper. And just last week, we read about how when King Ahaziah wanted to take Elijah out, the Lord sent fire down and consumed the soldiers that were coming to take Elijah away. Again and again in the Elijah story, the Lord's power, the Lord's fire, has shown that Elijah is truly God's prophet, and it's kept Elijah safe. And so now, at the end of the Elijah story, God's fire comes, and in a whirlwind, he takes Elijah up to his eternal rest. This is just the perfect, perfect ending to the Elijah story. But while it's a perfect ending for the Elijah story, it's also a sign to all of us, to all of us of how our story as God's people end. We are all saved in just the same way that Elijah was. The details look a little different But basically, Elijah was saved by the power of God in Jesus. In the Old Testament, people looked forward to the coming Messiah for their salvation. Now we know more about it, and we look back to Jesus who has come and who has saved us. But Elijah's destiny, what happens to him, will happen to all of us. Maybe our particular passage isn't going to be marked by fire and a whirlwind, But we all share in the hope that like Elijah, we will be brought into God's presence forever. Elijah's retirement party, if we can call what happens in this verse that, it's a little bit facetious, but if we call it that, it had more horses and chariots, more bells and whistles than ours probably will. But all of God's people have the same retirement package. We all get to go and be with the Lord forever. Just like Elisha, we need to exercise really intentional, serious commitment. But just like Elijah, God will bring all of us to be with him forever. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you too will be in God's presence forever. That is the hope that we have. But it's not the end of our text for tonight. And one of the realities of the Christian life is that even as we look forward to glory, we still have to live today. And that brings us to our third point for tonight. The Lord provides for His work to carry on. Every generation, He provides for His work to carry on. After Elijah gets carried away, Elisha takes hold of his clothes and he tears them apart. And then he picks up Elijah's cloak And he goes back to the Jordan. And that tearing of clothes is an Old Testament sign of grief. It's a sign that Elisha is really sad that he will not see Elijah again. But that sequence where Elisha tears his own clothes and then picks up Elijah's is also a sign of a transition. Elisha is putting aside his old life. Elisha is no longer the apprentice. Now he's the master. Elisha is showing that he is going to continue depending on the Lord, and he is going to continue the Lord's work that Elijah had been doing. Elisha isn't doing some new thing. He's not striking out on his own power. He's picking up where Elijah left off, and he's picking up in the power of the Lord and in dependence on the Lord. It's kind of a funny thing that Elisha goes back to the Jordan and he whacks the river with Elijah's cloak. When you first read that, you kind of think, what's he doing? Especially because he asked that question, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Now you would think Elisha would know that, right? You would think he would know that the Lord is with him. But Elisha actually is doing something wise there. Elisha is testing out if he's heard the Lord correctly. He doesn't want to just be running off and doing things on his own power. He wants the Lord to confirm that he has put his calling on Elisha. He's looking for confirmation from the Lord, and he gets it. What Moses did, what Joshua did, what Elijah did in parting the waters so that God's people could go through, now Elisha can do it. It's been confirmed. The Lord is carrying on his work through the next generation of prophets. And these other prophets who've been watching from a distance, they come up and they see that Elisha has done this miracle and they know who the next man up is. They know what the next generation is going to look like. They know that Elisha has inherited the position and the responsibilities of the great Elijah. Elijah. But then the last few verses that we read for tonight get kind of weird again. It's like these prophets come up to Elisha and they say, yeah, you're the man. And then they say, but wait, what about Elijah? We should find him. And Elisha tells them, no, he's gone. But the prophets insist. And finally, Elisha says, fine, go out and look. And these prophets go out and for days and days, dozens of dozens of them look for Elijah. And it's hard to know quite what they were thinking, but I think what they were trying to do is put Elisha's call beyond doubt. These guys wanted it to be absolutely beyond doubt that Elisha was the next great prophet. So when they came back and they had failed to find Elijah, they probably were happy about it. They probably came back and were able to say, now... Now we have double or triple or ten times confirmation that Elisha is the head of the prophets and we're going to fall in line behind him. And then in the rest of this chapter, which we didn't read for tonight, Elisha performs some more miracles. In the city of Jericho, their water had gone bad and Elisha, with just throwing some salt in the water, makes it all good again. And then as Elisha is traveling along, some young people come out and mock him because he's the prophet of the Lord and Elisha calls down judgment on them and some bears come out of basically nowhere and they, uh, they inflict rather serious punishment on those people who are making fun of the Lord and his prophet. So in this chapter already, Elisha comes with the power of Elijah and he brings the deliverance and the destruction of the word of the Lord. The Lord has provided for his prophetic ministry to continue and perhaps in an even greater power Than before. And the Lord somehow always does this. Sometimes in ways we expect, sometimes not so much. We had a situation in Nigeria when I was there that we had one of the pastors who was just our superstar missionary. He was in charge of 12 or 13 churches, and week after week, he would go from church to church, and he would preach, and he would do the sacraments, and he would encourage the elders and the deacons in all these churches, and he just did everything we asked of him and more, and then he got transferred. The denomination wanted to send him to another country, which was a great move from a big picture perspective, but it left us kind of worried. What was going to happen to these churches? How could they keep going without our superstar? And the next guy that came in didn't exactly inspire confidence. He was a very shy, very quiet man. When you first met him, you kind of wondered, what in the world did they send this guy here for? But then after a month or two or three, he stepped into the ministry, and he did even better than the last guy did. He was so committed to the churches that when he came to rivers that he had to cross, he would swim across the rivers to go and preach. He would take canoes across he would ride his motorcycle however far he needed to week after week to make the round of those churches he was our next our next if you want to call it that our next missionary superstar from a beginning that we didn't expect he just took off and the churches grew and thrived and so the lord always always keeps providing for his people in ways sometimes that we expect, in ways sometimes that surprise us that we could never, ever have guessed. But the Lord has given us His Spirit, and the Spirit is always at work in the church. And the Spirit gives His gifts to each and every one of us. All of us have a calling somehow to build up the body of Christ. Every single one of us has that call to be part of God's work generation after generation you have a calling to be part of the lord's work to use your gifts to build up the body even now even here the lord is with us and he equips us for his work now this doesn't usually come out of the blue the lord doesn't usually drop some entirely unexpected and new thing in our lives The Lord was working with Elisha for years and years and years before this text that we read for tonight. It seems like Elisha was a follower of the Lord from his childhood. He grew up in a family that seemed to be very faithful. He had been with Elijah for a number of years. Often the Lord prepares us for a long time, for years even or for decades. And then at just the right time, he works in us and he works in others to do the right thing for his church. The Lord often works quietly for a long time before the fireworks start. So the Lord calls us to follow him, but that following is shot through with God's work in us and on our behalf. The Lord provides for his people now and forever. We've seen this summer that the Lord worked mighty and amazing things through Elijah. And when Elijah's time was complete, the Lord brought him into his presence forever. And then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak and the Lord gave him the prophetic power he had given Elijah. And the Lord used Elisha in mighty ways. We need to be deeply, seriously committed to following the Lord in all things. We must be committed. But we need also to be confident we should be deeply, truly confident that the Lord provides what we need. The Lord provides for His work to carry on, and the Lord provides for His people for eternity. The Lord provides for us now and forever, and let's respond by committing ourselves to Him for now and forever.